Have you ever wondered how your sales performance compares against your competitors and peers? The B2B Sales Benchmark Report provides the definitive guide to what success looks like in 2021. See how you compare in terms of win rate, sales cycle, average deal value, relationships, and engagement. You can see the results and get the full report at ebster.com forward slash B2B dash sales dash benchmarks. This is Sales Ops Demystified, the number one most downloaded podcast in sales operations. We invite the brightest minds in sales operations onto the show to deconstruct the why, what, and how behind rep productivity, forecasting, metrics, and all things revenue. This podcast is brought to you by Ebster, the leading customer engagement platform for Salesforce. Hello, and welcome to another very special episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. Today, we are speaking with Julian Harris, who is currently a senior manager in sales operations at a company called ServiceNow. Now, ServiceNow is quite an established SaaS company, and I'm super interested to jump in and understand more about how Julian is running the sales operation over there. So, Julian, welcome to the show. Thanks, Tom. Really excited to be here. Appreciate you having me. So first, can we kick off by understanding how you first got into sales operations? Yeah, absolutely. Um, my career started actually in finance uh, out of college. I did a brief stint in investment banking and, and really loved the strategy side of business. But through working with technology companies, kind of found that you know, I wanted to be in tech. Um, so my avenue into that was uh, an outside sales role with a startup in the Bay Area. It's been about two years doing that. They moved me down to San Diego. And from there, I got another offer from a company called Classy to do sales for about six months. And we kind of had an agreement that, you know, we'd learn the sales side, but knowing that I wanted to get into something more strategic, they gave me that chance to move into uh, and really start up their sales ops, business operations function for them and spent about six years there. And uh, it was a phenomenal experience and learned so much being able to build it from the ground up. And, and we had great investors and, and a board of directors and team that really helped uh, advise me on how to build a sales ops function. So that's really a lot of where I learned what I know now and you know, obviously switched over to ServiceNow about six months ago. Got it. So you had, I, I totally get the understand, I get and understand the drive to be in the strategic side, but were you also interested in actually doing sales? Like, or were you, did you use sales as a springboard into strategy? I was interested in, in sales. Um, one, just to understand the processes, um, <clears throat> understand what the sales side goes through. And I think, that serves you very well in any sales ops role, just having gone through it. It allows you to empathize a lot more with what the sales team is going through. Um, and I think by doing sales, I learned that I was really interested in that go-to-market strategy. And, you know, how do we make the sales team as productive as possible? I was building things for myself when I was selling that were essentially sales ops functions to help me sell better. So why not, you know, take that ability and really hone that and then help, you know, hundreds of people sell better instead of just myself. Makes total sense. So looking at service now, roughly how many reps are there and how many people are there in the sales ops team? So 
I'll speak to just the area that I work with. Um, it's called our Enterprise West, and it's pretty much from Chicago out to um, you know, California. And we have currently about 87 to 90 reps that we support. Um, and we have a sales ops team of 12 people. So myself, and then I have three managers, and then we have um, sales ops specialists that work uh, with those managers and with the sales reps and the regional sales directors on a daily basis. Makes sense. So the structure is such that each division, let's say, has their own sales ops function. You don't have a shared sales ops function that serves all the divisions. Correct. So ultimately, you know, we do have the America sales ops that serves all of the Americas. And, you know, we have this globally as well. Um, but as it pertains to the team that I work with, we have our sales VP that runs the full enterprise West. He has VPs that report into him. They have area directors that report into them and reps that report up to them. So we align at each of those levels so that we're in lockstep with, um, you know, each sales leader and the overall uh, enterprise West sales organization. Makes sense. Can you share, because I, I know you only joined a few months ago, can you share something that you, you have been able to do or implement that has boosted productivity? Yeah, so one thing that um, the sales leader that I work with really cares about, and I think any sales leader cares about, is creating that predictable forecast, being able to really understand what's going to happen with the business. Um, and we've created a what we call just a forecast predictor. Um, and it's essentially taking a bunch of data that we have through our um, BI analytics team, what we have from our CRM and looking, going back pretty far historically around, you know, based on week seven of the quarter, this is what we typically convert. This is where we predict to land. And he's done a phenomenal job really of taking that and using that to say, if I know that I'm going to land and I'm going to miss by X, I need to go and find stuff in Q3 or Q4 and figure out what can we pull in from there and being very targeted and having focused conversations and not just saying, oh, we need to go get this many dollars. It's getting very specific into what deals can we pull in? How much can we pull in? Or if we're looking in quarter, how much can we grow these deals by? So that's something that we've worked on pretty closely. And, you know, we're already seeing the, the impacts of that and, and the focus there. So definitely proud of that and, and looking to continue to improve there. So you essentially, you've improved your ability to look forward and understand where you might land and therefore can change your behavior pre the end of a deadline. Yeah, exactly. Makes total sense. Now, I, I assume you guys have pushed to a more remote sales force in the past few weeks slash months. Has that changed the way you run the function? And are you doing anything differently with the reps now they're remote? Well, we actually were able to spend a lot more time with them, um, you know, because there's no travel, you know, there's no airtime where they're down. Um, the, the amount of time that I'm speaking with my VP, the amount of time that my managers are speaking with their VPs has gone up pretty significantly. So um, from that standpoint, it's been great to really be able to build the relationships further, bounce more ideas off of each other. Obviously, it's challenging to not be able to get in front of customers physically. Um, but I think it's forced us to grow in a lot of ways and, and be creative with, you know, how we're engaging with sales, what we're doing on the sales upside to provide value, um, you know, things like training new sales reps, how do we do that virtually? Um, and obviously, you know, the ServiceNow product um, really helps us with being able to work from anywhere. So the transition to digital hasn't been a huge hurdle. It's just been a lot more of the managing burnout and you know, figuring out how do we stay motivated and, and stay connected when we can't be across the table from people. Sure. And I, like, if you guys are learning more and if the reps are learning more about how to do this remote working thing, that's going to help you in sales conversations, I guess, uh, as you're selling service now. Absolutely. So it's a great, uh, like almost 
It's almost like the whole this whole thing is training for you guys. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Um, awesome. Now onto forecasting. Can you just give us a high level overview of how you guys forecast, what the press is, and who is involved? Yeah. So I mean, I always kind of look at it as a two prong approach. We've got you know the art and the science. So obviously, we have all sorts of data, like what we talked about. You know, we can look at what our raw pipeline is. Um, we can look at what the, the forecast predictor says, but ultimately it comes down to really having that rigorous process driven by our sales leaders. So, um, you know, we have a pretty strict forecast staging process where, you know, stage four opportunity is set to close at 40%. Stage seven is set to close at 90%. You know, and, we, and that aggregates into a roll-up of a weighted number. And, you know, we're looking at that weighted number to stress test what the sales leaders are rolling up as their forecast and then anything that's really a significant difference now we're digging in deeper to okay well what deals are causing that weighted to be off from your forecast uh and it's really kind of that conversation going you know from the regional directors all the way up to conversations with um the global and um, america's vps and then what we're really trying to do on the sales offside is figure out various ways that we can further stress test those things and identify areas that might be either points of opportunity or risk that, you know, we can bring to the sales leaders and say, Hey, you know, we're seeing this. And I know this deal's in the air for 70% probability, but we might want to take a look here and either you know, lower that or raise that or, or change the commit. So one thing I'm really working with my team on is, is coming to the table with a recommended forecast and saying, Hey, this is what we're seeing. This is what we think. What do you think? And, and really having that conversation instead of just kind of going with the forecast or just saying, Hey, here's your raw numbers, figure out the forecast on your, on your end. Well, if they're trying to dig dig into the detail of sales managers and sales reps to understand, awesome. And now moving on to metrics, uh, I'd like to ask a specific question. If you could only measure one sales metric for the rest of your career, which would you choose? So I love, it's called, uh, I don't know if it's widely used or whatever. It's, it's basically inverse of pipeline coverage. So it's our implied win rate. Um, and it's a really really useful metric that I found for any point in the period and where you can say, Hey, based on what we got today, we have to win at 40% for the rest of the quarter or the rest of the year in order to hit our number. So it's just, it's a very actionable metric in, in my opinion, where I can, I'm not just saying, okay, you've got three X coverage. It's oh, okay. We've got two X coverage. So that means I had to win at 50%. And now it's okay. What do I do about that? So that's, that's been one of my favorites to use. And it's, I found that it, uh, it resonates pretty well with, with the sales teams. Makes sense. And so if at the start of the year, you guys know that you need this much pipeline to to hit this goal, you're saying that over time, and that gives you a win rate, over time, that win rate for you to still hit the target is going to fluctuate. And so you're calculating every month, actually now from here on out, we have to be closing at 35% versus 30%. Yeah, exactly. And then it, it allows you to say, if you know I, us, I usually convert at 33%, but my coverage says I need to convert at 50%, that's a very easy way to you know trigger alarms that we're really short. Um, and you can dig into why that is and, and areas that you can pull in or grow deals to um, you know expand that coverage. Got it. And so are you constantly reminding the reps that, they, that they're, they're in rate they required win rate is changing not so much at the rep level um it's definitely a conversation i'm having with um uh, the vp that i work with 
Um, and he's very aware of it just because he's he's very analytical and he's looking at what the conversion rate is projecting for his bookings for for this quarter or this year. So it's definitely a conversation that we have. And I think the role of the sales leaders is then not necessarily saying, hey, your win rate's 30%. You need to win 50%. It's working with the reps and trying to look at their pipeline and, and the specific deals around, you know, I know what the win rate needs to be. So let's work with the rep on what deals can we win here? How can we work these together better to move them across the finish line to increase that win rate without necessarily saying, okay, you need to go win 50%. Yeah, got it. Not so harsh. Um, and that's that would be the sales manager that's having the conversation with the rep. And then yep. you're feeding that information to the sales manager. Mm-hmm. Makes total sense. Okay, awesome. Um, and then final question is, who in the world of sales operations has... Uh, educated you or inspired you the most? So I worked with the gentleman in Classy. Um, his name's Chris Himes. He came from Salesforce, uh, spent many years there as uh, their SVP of sales operations. And he was really one of the first people that, um, you know, taught me how to build out headcount and capacity models and, and really how to think about planning for a sales operations function. And, you know, that relationship lasted pretty much the entirety of my time at Classy. Um, but, you know, can't say enough great things about him and, and his willingness to work with me and, and teach me everything that he knew. Um, you know, obviously he's a brilliant guy himself. So just being able to be a fly on the wall for conversations he was having or bounce ideas or questions off of him is invaluable experience and, and very grateful for his willingness to be there for me. How, what was the name again? I think I missed it. Uh, Chris Himes. Chris he's Himes. currently the, the chief operating officer at Glassy. Awesome. Shout out to Chris. Amazing. Cool. So here, here's a couple of things I picked out. Um, I think we've heard this before, but there definitely is an art and a science to forecasting. And you need to understand these both. And I think the way you guys are doing it kind of makes sense. Um, your metric, it, it, rarely do we get a metric anymore after 105 interviews that we haven't heard before. But this is what. <laughs> so implied win rate, um, which is basically understanding the, the required amount of deals you need as time progresses, as you close or, or or don't close more. And then also, yeah, just the the uh, thing that you implemented since you joined about forecasting more accurately and then working back from that changing behavior to improve results. Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Julian. Yeah, of course. Thank you so much for having me. I really, really enjoyed the conversation and then the opportunity to share. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sales Ops Demystified podcast. If you are listening on a podcast listening application, then please subscribe, rate, and review. And if you have any questions about the show, if you know a guest, or if you have any questions about sales operations, just hit me up at tomhunt at ebster.com. That's tomhunt at ebster.com.